Welcome to What's So Funny, a comedy podcast where we talk about some of the most influential and controversial comedy albums from the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. Sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh. Here's your host, Dave Schwenson. Hi, I'm Dave Schwenson, your host, and today I'm joined by Logan Rashaw. Hi, Dave. And we're going to stay busy today because we're going to be talking about another legendary comedian, Shelley Berman. And this is a perfect way to wrap up our season here because Shelley mirrors Mort Saul, our first episode, quite well. Wow, you're very good at this. Mm-hmm. Done it about three times now. <laughs> I was going to say, I'll take a seat and let you go on this. But yeah, you're right. This is the end of this season. And uh, Shelley Berman's a good one to close on because he is such a uh, an interesting guy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mortzal was the person who made him want to get into stand-up. And it's funny because they're like just 100% different from each other. Mortzal is the fast talker. And Shelley Berman's very slow. Very slow. Very uh, specific with how he talks. Yes. And even when it came time to uh, uh, record an album... Shelley was reluctant to do that. He thought if he put his comedy material in an album that people could listen to all the time, no one would come see him. Right, and it was Mort who was like, you have to put this out there. You need to have more people listening to what you're doing. Yeah. And convinced him to record an album on the same label that he was on, yes. Verve Records. And even this album was at the same exact uh, venue that Mort's first album was, The Hungry Eye. Well, you know what? Let's get into a little bit of this right now with Shelley Berman. I want to play the first clip, and it's from his album, Inside Shelley Berman, which, now, I correct me if I'm wrong, Logan, because you're a, a good historian about this. This was the first gold record for a comedy album? It was the first gold record for a spoken word comedy album. So wow. before, I think there were musical comedy and sketch. Okay. That probably did about as well. And it's also the first spoken word Grammy Award winning comedy album. I'm so glad you're here because I would have gone rambling off on all kinds of stuff. <laughs> it might have been wrong because so we have it clear there. Okay, so this is from that award winning comedy album, Inside Shelley Berman. Directed and dedicated to the parents in our audience. Hello. And. Hello. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Hello there. <laughs> I'm fine, thank you. And how are you? <laughs> fine, fine. Thank you very much. Uh, is uh, is is your is your mother there? I'm fine, thank you. Fine, fine. <laughs> is uh, is 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 your is your mommy home? <laughs> I'm fine, sweetheart. Fine. <laughs> Fine. Listen, honey, listen, where is your mommy? <laughs> oh, well, tell her when she's through, I'd like to talk to her, please. <laughs> you don't have to tell me what, dear. That's all right, sweetheart. I, I, I'm fine. fine. Listen, what, listen, what are you, a little boy or a little girl? <laughs> oh, well, why don't you ask your mommy? She'll tell you. <laughs> I'm fine. Listen, sweetheart. <laughs> Go call mommy to the telephone, honey. Oh, and listen, honey, listen, don't put the telephone on the hook now, baby. Put it on the table, sweetheart, because if you put it on the hook, you... <laughs> Hello there. I'm fine, thank you. Bye. Listen, you hung up on me, you little. Now, see there, see... 
See, I told you to put the telephone on the table and you put it on the hook. No, honey, you see what happened. See, I... Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Hello. Now, listen, kid. Now, don't put the telephone down, you understand me? You hold the telephone in your hand, you hear what I'm saying to you? In your fat little claw, you hold the phone. Now, I'm warning you now, if you put that telephone down, lightning will strike you, and you'll die. I'm God. <laughs> I'm fine, thank you, fine. Now stand still and scream, Mommy. What are you crying for? I didn't scare you. I can't help it if I'm God. Call your Mommy. Hello, Mommy. Marge! It's me, Sid. I'm fine, thank you. I'm not screaming. Seems to me your household has a morbid interest in my health. Your kid acts like the beneficiary of my insurance policy. Just do me a favor. Tell my nephew he's a boy, will you? He doesn't know. He doesn't know. I asked him before. He didn't know what the hell I was talking about. What do you mean he's a baby? Now is when he should know. Now, during his formative years. Don't wait till he grows up and makes an arbitrary decision. <laughs> That was called Dedicated to Parents by uh, Shelley Berman. You know, it really is like a time capsule when we listen to some of these older comedy albums. That was recorded, I think, in 1959. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people today, the idea of how a telephone worked then is surprising. Yes, back then, they didn't have cell phones, but they didn't have voicemail. That's yeah, a beautiful way to uh, show off what you know family life was like back yes. then. Yes, and it's also a great example of Shelley Berman's style because he was known for... Um, talking on the phone during his comedy. They were one-way conversations. They were actually conversations between two people. It was just his side of it, talking and reacting to what, assuming he was hearing. Yeah, and this style was what he was most known for, and it's something he developed as an improv actor, because a lot of scenes in improv are you with a partner, and sometimes he wouldn't get a partner, so he had to find ways to, you know, match whatever the improv challenge was by mm -hmm. himself. Yes. And this is where all his acting experience really comes into play, too. He's been acting for seven years, so you can hear it in the way he tells these routines, the way his voice changes for different characters, and how well he is at playing both parts in a way. It's interesting, too, that he went to, he studied improvisation with Nichols and May, yeah, who he was, we featured on What's So Funny not too long ago. Yeah, he was one of the, uh, the Compass players, and yes. another person who was in that group was uh, Del Close, who okay. was kind of like the... Uh, main improv guy. He wrote Truth and Comedy, which is like the improv performer's Bible. Sure. Well, here's a little inside information for you. I studied one class with Del Close. Did you? Yes, many that's years ago. That's why you're ago. so good at this. <laughs> no, that's why I'm not... Didn't, I should have stayed <laughs> in the class longer, I guess. It was only once. That's incredible. But I went through it once, and uh, it's kind of like a little claim to fame kind of thing I might have with the improv improvisers. Right, yes, absolutely. I, I took that's one class to be proud with of. Del Close in New York City. So there you go. But I brought up Nichols and May because they also did telephone bits. You know, it was kind of a standard thing with a lot of the comics back then. It, it was... Um, how can I put it? It was, you know, way back to, there's, there's recordings from 1913 
with the comedians talking on the telephone, one-sided conversations. But Shelley Berman really took it to, like, to be his own. Yeah, he went for more than just a sketch. He built his routine around that over yes. time. Yes. And I think that's why he's really kind of claimed that style for himself. Yeah, and that's what he is really known for. If our listeners go up and, you know, they look back on, say, YouTube or even uh, check out some of his comedy album covers and everything, he's he's got his hand up to his, his ear because he's talking on the phone. Even though a lot of people did it, I think he was probably one of the best at it. Yes. Yeah, well, he's known for that. But let's continue with this because we have another clip coming up from this uh, award-winning gold comedy album, Inside Shelley Berman. And uh, our second clip today is called Buttermilk, which I found to be very interesting because it's such a— it, the topic is just what it says. It's buttermilk. It's so completely silly and such a fun <laughs> overanalysis on such a little concept. Exactly. Let's take a listen to this one. I discovered this afternoon why I don't like buttermilk. Now— <laughs> I'm going to get into that because, first of all, I'm not the kind of a guy who forms a snap judgment about some white, innocent fluid. And, it, again, it seems to me that people who, who do like buttermilk love buttermilk beyond anything in existence. They have a thing over buttermilk, which I won't go into detail about. It's a little, uh, a little pornographic. Um... <laughs> I have seen people drinking buttermilk in a way that makes me feel that I, I just shouldn't be watching. So, um, so naturally, I, you know, I thought about this for a couple of years, and you can imagine how desperate a man has to be to think about buttermilk, you know, for a, for a prolonged period. Anything over 10 minutes has got to be paranoid, you know. Anyway, this afternoon, for some inexplicable reason, I saw the light. I had, I had a revelation. I'll tell you what I had. I had... I had a Sartori. That's for those of you who believe in Zen. And, um... I have a feeling the room is loaded with Zen people tonight. I'll... I'll tell you what Zen is. Zen... Zen is a kind of... philosophical... uh... metaphysical... thought... thing. You have it so far? Uh, it's a, a kind of offshoot of Buddhism in which, through concentration, you arrive at certain levels of existence, and you are capable of answering certain very tricky questions. One of the questions is this. You know the sound of two hands clapping, but what is the sound of one hand clapping? <laughs> Well, I, I know that sound. I, uh, <laughs> I've heard it frequently enough, God knows, and I'm uh, not going to dwell on it because I'll cry, and a comedian, you know, should be jolly. Anyway, I was telling you about buttermilk, why I don't like it. I, just, I found out today, and I'm going to tell it to you. It is not the buttermilk that bothers me. It's the way the glass looks when you're through drinking it that makes me sad. (laughs) 
that ugly white map inside of that glass. Two more seconds and I'll throw up. I know it. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for listening to this catharsis. It, um, it was something I had to get off my chest. I'm glad you were here to hear it. Yeah, that's just a great example, again, from Shelley Berman, how he can get on a mundane topic, buttermilk. I mean, that one right. didn't mean anything. Yeah, you really, could that be someone's nickname? Could that be the name of a, a, a sports team? Could that be whatever? No, it's just what it is, buttermilk, but he goes off on it. Yeah, just starting from the one word, just building a three-minute set out of it. Yeah. Also, while we're kind of comparing him to Mort Saul, this is a good way to show how Mort was very focused on politics and things going on in his life and— yeah. Shelly Berman could just talk about a mundane topic and create an amazing bit out of it. Yeah, and the thing, too, with Mort Saul, when we listened to him on an earlier episode, he talked a mile a minute. Oh, yeah. You know, he was just talking, like, real fast. Everything was going real fast. And Shelly's got that slower delivery. Yes. He takes his time, and it feels like every word has been picked for a purpose. Yeah. Whereas Mort Saul is just kind of going rapid fire off the top of his head. And what's interesting about this bit, too, Buttermilk, is he's not talking on the phone. No, this is uh, before that became his sort of yeah. entire act. He had more conversations yeah. with the audience themselves. It's just something that bothered him, and he wanted to talk to the audience and explain it, and then... It's a nice little break, a good change, change of pace. Yes, I like that. Now that we've kind of gotten an idea of his style, we're going to look at a topic that a lot of comedians cover, airlines. Yes. I think a good way to judge comedians is how good is their airline material. Okay. Because everybody's got something about traveling or the airport. <laughs> You're right. So uh, this third clip we've got from Shelley Berman's album is called Airlines. Well, let's take a listen. I got to thinking about that because I, I fly an awful lot. You know, I'm a performer and we're always hopping around the country. And, you know, uh, we're at the mercy of these people because we need them so much. And you know how airlines are always bragging about their safety records. You know, flying is the safest way to fly. Uh, or um, <laughs> what they actually say is this. Uh, statistics prove that flying is the safest way to travel. I don't know how much consideration they've given to walking. Uh, however, there are the propaganda efforts on the part of the commercial airlines is terribly, terribly convincing so that I, frankly, haven't the slightest doubts whatsoever about my safety in a plane until I walk into an airport terminal. And I realize that there's a thriving industry in this building selling life insurance policies, you see. <laughs> good for one flight, you know, which is very cautious. And, uh, and there are booths all over the place selling life insurance and slot machines dispensing life insurance. And the whole thing seems to convey this one message to me, that I may be confident about landing safely, but there's a serious doubt in somebody's mind as to whether I'm going to make it, you see. And because I happen to be a little chicken to begin with, this, uh, this, this power of suggestion plants a seed of doubt, gives me a negative attitude toward the flight. Incidentally, if you do uh, buy one of these policies, for God's sakes, don't read it. Pay for it, sign it, send it off to somebody you want to worry, but if you read this, you'll never fly. <laughs> what it does on these policies, it itemizes very carefully everything that can happen to you in that plane. And there is one word which I think should be stricken from the English language immediately anyway. The word is maimed. It's a horrible, <laughs> horrible word. 
Injured conveys the point, but maimed sounds so permanent and ugly, you know. Well, this power of suggestion works progressively, you see. The first thing you do, for example, when you get into the plane, you strap yourself into the seat, which, as far as I'm concerned, is another very ominous gesture, you know. <laughs> you may stop there, but I take it a step further. I say to myself, well, I'm strapping myself into the seat. Because if I wasn't strapped into this seat, there's a very good chance that I will fall out of this seat, you see. <laughs> see, if the plane came to a sudden stop, like against a mountain. <laughs> I visualize myself flying right through the plane and right out through the front, you know, right through the area where the crew and the girls have their parties. And, uh... <laughs> That is what I find most terrifying of all, you know. And because I happen to be, as I say, a rather devout coward, I, I, I really strap myself into that seat, people, to a point, say, if I flew for over 20 minutes, I'd get gangrene. Well, I think to myself, with this little belt around me, if the plane stops quickly enough, perhaps only the top half of me will fly through the front of the plane. <laughs> and the rest of me will remain seated where I am, <laughs> with my legs crossed. It's such a macabre picture, you know? All right, that was called Airlines from Shelley Berman's gold album, Inside Shelley Berman. And it's a fantastic airline bit. It really is. It's great. It shows off a lot of his acting talents, even though he wasn't using the telephone there. He still used a speaker system to play the, the pilot. You know, I'm glad you brought roles. that up, Logan, because his acting experience, again, we talked in the beginning about he was, he was an actor. He studied drama. At yeah. the uh, prestigious Goodman School of Drama in Chicago and also in New York City. And what I enjoy so much, and I can't do this, I'm not demonstrating about what I'm going to say right here, I can understand everything he says, every word, even with his different voices. And he's doing these little, they're little performance art pieces to me. You know, yes, it's stand-up comedy, but no, it's little scenes that's going on. And sometimes when we listen to other comedians, you know, they, they, they hurry up, they talk too fast. Sometimes you'd be like, what did they say? or they're not clear enough, enunciating correctly, whatever you want to call it. Shelley Berman, I'm understanding everything. And he's really taking me there through his dramatic flair, if that's what you want to call it, his acting ability. Yeah, his theater chops show through in every routine that he does. I mean, yes. He builds a lot of the routines through improv, just uh, coming up with an idea and working through it himself. But yes. once he's got it hammered in, he's got all sorts of different parts that he's playing different roles for, giving different voices to, and making everything clear, not just his words, but what he's trying to say with them. Mm -hmm. So his sarcasm comes through perfectly. Anything that's supposed to be sort of a punchline that written out wouldn't seem funny, right. he's nailing it with how he's delivering. Right, right. It's his performance ability. You know, and the training that he had. I mean, a drama and improvisation and a comedy. And, you know, he originally broke into the comedy industry as a writer, Oh, is that so? Yeah, for the uh, Steve Allen show. I think he was the Steve Allen's Tonight Show. He was hired as a writer. I think before that, he was in New York City. He was driving a cab. He was a dance instructor. No. At, uh Yes, at, uh, what is that, Fred Astaire? Is that the dance studios? Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, because he was having a hard time getting acting jobs. I mean, that's a tough career, too. But um, he got hired then by Steve Allen to write for The Tonight Show. And after that success, he went back to Chicago and started studying improvisation. With the, uh, what was that? You told me it was the name the, of the Compass uh, the Players. The Compass Players, yeah. Which eventually became Second City. Right. And it's through that that he built a lot of this material, too. So I've heard him say he spent about seven or eight years work, trying to work as an actor. 
And then once he decided to be a comedian, he was a working comic within a year just because he had all this material built up from different improv sketches he had worked on. Right. And his career went on. He uh, never stopped uh, creating him. He was a writer. I know he wrote scripts for television shows. He wrote a few plays. He wrote a couple books, I think, on poetry. Yeah. He had a wide range of sort of later life careers. Yeah. And he got back into acting for a while, too. Yeah, he used to appear in all the, like, sitcoms and uh, dramedies, if that you call them, that were back in the 60s, 70s. I mean, right up through, I mean, with Larry David and Curb Your Enthusiasm. But, you know, let's uh, continue here because we uh, I'm really getting into this, I mean, with Shelley Berman. It's, it's very interesting to listen to what he was talking about. Again, this was 1959. And he was talking about airline. I mean, how safe was it to fly an airplane in 1959? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Say it's the safest mode of transportation. Well, if I had a time machine, I'm not going to get on an airplane in 1959 knowing everything I know now. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I think a lot of this stuff still holds up today. I mean, they still tell us the same statistics about airlines, and people are just as afraid of them. Uh, anyway, do you want to talk about to introduce this next clip? Yeah, I'll introduce this next clip. As we said before, I put Shelley... you on the spot, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As we said before, Shelley Berman has kind of been showing us what life was like in the 60s, and I think this is a great picture of what family life was like. This next clip is called Child Psychologist. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Shelley Berman. About a month ago, or maybe it was, I don't know, maybe it was uh, two months ago. It could very easily have been last week, actually. Yesterday. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a day in which I did absolutely nothing. I, not a thing. If anybody asked me what I was doing, I would have said creating, which is a hell of an easy out. And uh, I was just recalling things, having a sort of an eclectic experience, anything that fell into my head, I dealt with it for a few minutes and then threw it away. And I was recalling a radio show or a television show, which I had seen or heard, I'm not sure which. And on this show, there was a child psychologist and he was answering questions which had been submitted by mail from worried, distraught, harried, frightened, hysterical, and insane parents. You know the degrees to which they get. And one of the questions which had been submitted was from a mother who was very concerned about her, her very young daughter whom she claimed was taking things which didn't belong to her and she, she wanted to know what was wrong with her. Well, the child psychologist's diagnosis was that the kid was a thief. And he said, um, he said, don't worry about it, you know. <laughs> it wasn't his kid. And I said, um, <clears throat> he said, two things will happen. Either she'll grow out of it or she'll become more proficient. So one way or the other, you know, she will have to benefit. Don't be too concerned. He said, don't discourage the little crook because you'll give her a trauma and she will grow up unable to adjust herself to society and uh, all sorts of problems, and, you know. And, and so he said, you know, if, you, if the girl cheats, let her cheat, ignore it. And then he spoke out in a rather peculiar fashion about lying. As I recall, he said something to this effect. I know many liars doing very well these days, <laughs> making out airline schedules. And, um... That was Child Psychologist by Shelley Berman. Yeah, it was based on, you know, a lot of... You look back in a lot of comedians, like their lives, when they were children and what they grew up in, 
And, uh, you know, he was like talking about like a child psychiatrist because the girl was stealing or whatever. But, you know, he it was basically a lot of his own life that came into this, what yeah. he talked about. He was definitely putting a lot of his own personal experiences in there. Yeah, because he grew up in a, in a crowded household and you had to do something to bring attention to yourself. Yeah, so what I was seeing was he was not only raised in a crowded household, but the way that they made ends meet was uh, his grandmother would buy pure alcohol <laughs> and then resell it as homemade whiskey. Yeah, there you go. Was that the uh, prohibition they were doing that? Yeah, so that's a great way to support the family, and I'm sure that gives you a different life experience than most people in the neighborhood. It certainly does. And you know, when you look back on it, some of those guys like Mort Saul and Lenny Bruce and those people that grew up in that era, including Shelley Berman, you know, before that, the comics were doing their, what I called, shtick. They had pretty much the same acts. They toured vaudeville, and they had jokes, and some of that stuff was pretty corny in uh, the comedy teams. With Shelley Berman and, again, Mort Saul, Lenny Bruce, these guys started talking about their real lives, what they felt about things, their opinions, and how they saw things. And comedians didn't do that yeah, they before were coming... these guys. These were the first generations of of uh, comedy as we know it today. Yeah, people with original material, they weren't just playing the hits. Right. And they were more off the cuff with the audience. Right, right. Well, we are coming close to the end here. I know we have another clip to play before we leave, and uh, I do want to say something else about Shelley Berman's career. Shelley went on with, you know, all his original material and things like that that were really changing it. He wound up recording six comedy albums, which were all pretty successful, and he appeared on The Ed Sullivan Show more than 20 times. And that was a big deal in the 50s, 60s, and even 70s. It's a huge deal. People would kill to be on there once. That's right. Elvis, the Beatles, Shelley Berman. That's where stars were made. That's it. Well, let's go into the uh, final clip we're going to play tonight from Shelley Berman. It's called uh, Embarrassing Moments. And (laughs) maybe that's just going to speak for itself. Let's just get into this. All right, I don't have too much time. I've taken way too much time, so I just have a second left. So I'm going to take this second and discuss the world. Um, (laughs) This is, of course, on the assumption that it lasts that long Uh, We're going to discuss right now A rather peculiar phenomenon Which is all too frequently ignored That is the very small type of embarrassing moment Now, we're not talking now about the large embarrassing moments, the big, fat, juicy, egregious embarrassing moments that everybody notices and everybody remembers. We're talking now about the little itsy-bitsy embarrassing moments, the kind which occur in thousands throughout a single day, and we never notice them because they're so small and they're fleeting, they pass us too quickly. The cigarette is a great cause for the small type of embarrassing moment. This will prove to you, I think, that if you're not looking for these things, you're very apt to miss them. (laughs) Oh, God damn it. All right, that's the kind I'm talking about, people. Here is one now that I particularly like to see happen to a guy who has been putting me down all evening, one of these superior types. You know the kind I mean. For example, a man who has read something by James Joyce. 
and understands it. Uh, <laughs> him I despise. Especially when I'm the guy who thinks James Joyce wrote trees. <laughs> and what is worse, I say so, you see. <laughs> Usually in a large crowd. Or else he's one of these immaculate creatures who after dinner at the dinner table, the tablecloth in front of him, you may still see the crease in it. While in front of me, it appears as if I'd been passing the food up through the table, you see. <laughs> It's as if I brought along my own beet juice and scattered it around on my spot. Anyway, after I've made my James Joyce faux pas, he invariably gives me an indulgent chuckle. <laughs> oh, my. James Joyce didn't write Trees. Trees was written by Joyce Kilmer. Of course, I ask who is she, and I destroy myself completely. <laughs> Anyway, his embarrassing moment occurs at the peak of his smugness when he's so cocksure and confident and he's busily expounding on the virtues of Ulysses or something else I don't know anything about. It happens very quickly with his cigarette when he least expects it. I don't know what he's trying to say there at all, Shelly lad. I hear what he's trying to say all along, kid. <laughs> Kind of does your heart good, doesn't it, huh? <laughs> There's one other embarrassing moment that occurs with a cigarette which I can't show you because it's injurious. However, I'll, I'll tell you about it. <laughs> it's when the cigarette sticks to your lips and your fingers slide down and grab the flame. Is that ever? Well, that usually happens at a very intimate moment when you're saying something like, darling, I just want to say, ah! That was Embarrassing Moments by Shelley Berman. He's had a few embarrassing moments in his life. Yes, he certainly has. Yeah, there was a big incident that led to him kind of going on an extended hiatus from comedy. Yes, there was a, uh, and I want to talk about this just briefly, too, because it's not really the defining thing for Shelley Berman. He was so popular. He was such a popular comedian. They took cameras and they went, followed him around. It was called Comedian Backstage. It was a television special in 1963. And what happened one night when he was doing this, a telephone went off backstage, and it kind of ruined the mood that he was setting. He got upset about this. He was really voicing his exasperation, his, his frustration in front of everyone and let it go. I mean, comics do, I mean, performers yeah. do this all the time. And he got a raw deal, in my opinion. Yeah, it's tough when that's the only part of your actual personality people see, aside yeah. from you on stage. They have this one bad clip. Yes. And that's what blows up. And he was got this reputation for being difficult to work with. And I saw an interview with him later. He says, you know, people, he says, I can't even send back a steak. I can't do anything. You know, people like, think I'm this mean guy, and I'm not. Mm -hmm. it yeah, was it's this, something that's so common, especially in theater and show business. I can definitely understand his frustration. And I want to say, make it clear, I think he got a raw deal. I would agree with that. Yeah, there you go. So in defense of Shelley Berman. That's why he did stop doing comedy for a while there. He got back into it later in his life. Yes. But he went to uh, other things in that in-between time. He taught comedy writing for 20 years at USC. Yes. Like you mentioned before, he wrote some books, and mm -hmm. he got into acting again. Well, but then after all that acting and all the TV shows he did, he never lost his zen, because I, I talked about that one <laughs> in the clips, his zest. Yeah, for doing stand-up comedy. He really uh, came out strong in that end part of his career. He pushed himself to get into more and more acting gigs. He's probably best known 
recently for being in Curb Your Enthusiasm. With Larry David. And he won an Emmy for that role. He did. And you know how he got the part? How did he get the part? This is no secret. Shelley Berman wore a hairpiece, okay? Okay. But now you see Larry David, he does not wear a hairpiece. Yeah, he is <laughs> quite well known for not having a hairpiece. <laughs> and in the show, he had to play Larry David's father. So Larry said, you can have this part. The part's yours, but you're not allowed to wear the hairpiece. And he didn't wear the hairpiece? He didn't wear the hairpiece. And because of his acting ability, not because he didn't wear the hairpiece, he got uh, nominated for uh, an Emmy in 2008. That's all you got to do. actor on Curb Your Enthusiasm. But yeah, he did go on and he performed in Las Vegas at Harrah's doing stand-up comedy. And he really continued, um, really had a long life. I mean, he lived to be 92. He was continuing pretty close to the end. Yeah, and he's a very beloved comedian. He's been well-respected for comedy and acting. He's actually getting a, a lot of his works showcased at the National Comedy Center in Jamestown. Right, all his archives, everything, are right, or all his work, his, his work is in the archives at the uh, Comedy Center. Actually, it was just there not too long ago. It's a wonderful museum. It's only been around for about a year or two now, but yeah. it's fantastic. If you're listening to this podcast, I highly recommend the trip. I'll do that too, because I've been there also. We could spend, we talked about this, you could spend days in that place if you're a comedy fan. All right, Logan, we're going to wrap it up today. And not only are we just wrapping up this episode, we are wrapping up the season. And it's been a pretty fun season, I'd say. I've had a blast. Yeah, I've learned a lot. I've got to listen to a lot of fantastic comics with you. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to the next one. We got to laugh. That's what it's all about, comedy. Well, we're going to come back for another season. Yeah, I am uh, looking forward to season two. Thank you, everyone, for listening. All right, we're going to sign off here. I'm Dave Schwenson. I'm Logan Rishaw. And you've been listening to What's So Funny, and we'll see you for our next season. Until then, keep laughing. Thanks for listening to What's So Funny. That's all we have for you for now. Be sure to check back in for the next season of Comedy Classics. Special thanks to executive producers Joan Andrews and Michael D'Aloya, producer Sarah Wilgroup, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chapotis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.